Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Your podcast where you're walking along, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, what do you mean I can't do it anymore because the rules have changed? Wait a minute. I have this power now? Tonight, we are talking about, and this is a pet project of mine, something I want to do for a while, switching between system and game mechanics in a game. But yeah, power spells and FX abilities are the, in my OGL to Palladium, or Palladium to OGL. That was rough. Not so much Heroes Unlimited, because that was the aforementioned uh, super strong street thug that I talked about. Mm-hmm. He just had super strength and invulnerability, and then his street thug skills. A little bit of mechanical ability, streetwise, prowl, some weapons proficiencies, you know, like revolver, knife, blunt weapons, you know. And the superpowers, you know, it was. It was basically heightened strength and durability. The Nightbane I had, I had to realize for the sake of the game, I had to nerf the character. Because if you play Nightbane, it's humans that all of a sudden find out they they switch into this very powerful superheroic form often shaped by subconscious fears and desires which means if you've been abused and you let's say you were a cutter your nightbane might have like open bleeding cuts on them it doesn't hurt them but that's just how they look and then they have all these other powers like speed and strength and durability and they can manifest shadow whips and all this so you got to sit there and try to okay the shadow whips and the strength and this and this I had to nerf my Nightbane. And if any of my players in my old Saturday game, yeah, Cal was nerfed. I had to. There was no way I could not make him without either combining superpower mechanics from three or four different OGL games and lumping him to one character or not making the character at all. So I basically role-played them, and he, I just had to say, yeah, my powers aren't working the same here as they do back home. Well, what can you do? Um, that's all you can do, really? <laughs> it's like, well, I'm still smart. Yeah, but we kind of rely on you to be able to run at 300 miles an hour. What happened there, Cal? So yeah, powers can often be the big letdown as far as trying to figure things out. Now, if you're going, as I said, from one powered setting to another, like fantasy to superhero, not a problem or even fantasy to alien outer space because they a lot of outer space settings have allowances for oh like this this setting has like telepathy and telekinesis okay and of course the old bureau 13 game and um fringeworthy their psionics had stuff that verged on superpowers spectral kinesis pyrokinesis cryokinesis um attack which allows you to, to also disintegrate yeah, so I mean, the Tritax setting, you could have technically played off a low-powered superhero. Now, someone like Superman you just couldn't do. I mean, that no, not an option. But maybe like the old Mystery Men type 30s and 40s heroes, like the Shadow, Doc Savage, those characters you could have done. Low-powered superheroes could have been done with the old, the, the classic Tritech rules because you could have just tweaked the, the Psy rules and pulled that off. But yeah, powers, I noticed in my conversions... 
and spells and FX abilities and mental abilities like, you know, psionics. Those are the ones that get me the most. Those are the ones where you really have to read the setting and the rules and how they are and just go hope. <laughs> it, it's the, the sports analogy. It's the Hail Mary pass. Just throw it and hope you hit your target. It's like, the hell with it. Here we go. Sure. Eh, okay, yeah, it sort of works like that. Yeah, axiomatic shift, hand wave, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, can I can I use up all my magic points all at the same time? Because <laughs> well, if yeah. I don't, we're all going to die. The yeah, GM right, goes, yeah, yeah. Mm, what should I do here? Uh, let's see. We... and trying to recall what other times I've really had problems. Because I know that, like, Savage Worlds has, and I, and I bought these at a Gen Con. I think I showed Bruce when I bought them, one of the times we were there, uh, 2012 or 2015. I think it was 2014, I bought the Deluxe Edition Savage Worlds, the Science Fiction Companion, and the Superpowers Companion. So if you're running a Savage World, if you're going into a Savage Worlds campaign, most things of modern and future type FX abilities would be covered in those two books, I would think. Now, I don't know if you can do like, holy crap, Superman level cosmic superheroes in Savage Worlds. You'd have to get the Superpowers Handbook. Okay, I do have that. So they do have for, like, that high level of superhero. You could feasibly do it. Yeah, obviously he'd be a legendary character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, yeah. all right. As I said, folks, my, my, my experience with the Savage World setting is making the difficult characters a few years ago and then playing one session of Savage Rifts with uh, Sean Patrick Fannin back in 2017 con on the cop that's it and and as you longtime listeners know my lack of knowledge with savage world shows <laughs> it, I well admit, essentially I admit freely. when you put yeah when you play savage worlds you know feats uh spells are feats are, are actually are edges you yeah. call them edges okay spells are edges feats are edges it all basically comes into this big, ma you know, big mass. Well, you have the, Anything arcane, the arcane background thing, I saw. Right. Well, yeah. that just basically tells you which of the edges you could take. Yeah. You know, but, for example, is that um, uh, in that game, I mean, unless you enforce some kind of uh, rationale to it, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, the, the spell blast, okay, it could be a, a mage could be casting it, uh, a, a a uh, an arcane, you know, a cleric could be casting it. A, uh, a psionicist could be casting it. Weird science guy could be casting it. But but the, the FX would be, you know, the mage is, you know, using words and gestures. The psionicist is like bleeding out of his nose while he does it. You know, the the holy man is holding his holy symbol and, and invoking the name of his deity. It's all, uh, and of course, the weird science guy is, you know, uh, uh, taking two things that have nothing to do with each other, putting them together, and getting this amazing power out of it. So, you know, I mean, it's, that's the FX side of it. You, they're saying it's, it's all the same stuff. You know, there's no difference between, you know, blaster, you know, D and D and and, and ma magic. I mean, sorry, the future is the same. You know, in D and D, it's like I invoke the power of Azagoth, you know, and I cast hot burning, you know, uh, I, I cast a fireball at you, and then the guy in the future is like, eat hot photon, sucker. Yeah. And it's the same effect. You know, you basically big a lot of fire goes at your opponent. It comes from different sources. Is one's a device and the other one is something else, but ultimately it's the same thing. So you know, a lot a lot of times you just have to be careful that you're not getting concerned about what is just an FX. Yeah, because one of the things I remember with the hero system for the 
years and years that I played it with my old gaming group was you had Energy Blast. Energy Blast was Energy Blast, and it was all in the effects and whatever, um, and I'm trying to recall, but advantages and limitations you put on it. Right. Like, let's say Fireball, the spell, and a grenade. Yeah, they were both area effect Energy Blast that, you know, the farther they went out, the, the you tick you took the highest level die off that, you know, it goes, you know, one hex, you take the six away. It goes another hex, you take the five away. But other than various advantages and limitations, both the grenade and the cast fireball were both area effect energy blasts. So if you're going to do powers and effects, and it, they are going to be in both systems, that's when you get in, it, okay, it's like, not we can't eyeball here. You're going to have to get into the crunch of the system. Now, let's say I'm taking a fantasy person from 3.5 D&D, and we're going to go to uh, the hero system, we're going to go fight Dr. Destroyer. Yeah, and I'm dial- dialing the Wayback Machine on this one, folks. <clears throat> I have somewhere in my collection still the Island of Dr. Destroyer module. So you're going to need to write up that character. I mean, you could cheat and use the fantasy hero rules, but folks... Let's face it, if you're playing Hero System, you're doing it champion style because you can make the characters, because any other system other than champions, it's, oh, I have a 50-point character. Oh, boy. You get champions, you get that 100-point start and then 150 points in distance. You're going to do the champions version and just make it, oh, I'm a fantasy wizard. So well, yeah. Yeah. Because in, in one system, you might be able to get like a uh, a 10 uh, a, a, a 10d6 fireball, okay? In the champion system, you throw the right disadvantages and limitations at it. You've got a 50d6 fireball. You can only do it once a day, but you got it. Oh, no, no. Jerry, <laughs> as I said, the one that helped uh, uh, me with uh, Bureau 13d20. Oh, no. He... There, <clears throat> there's a term I will, I will not use here because... Um, Children are listening? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he had a way with the rules which could get him arrested. We'll say let that, that we'll just leave it at that. And being good at math, and you rank it a champion's character, we gave him the concept, he made the character. If we messed up, it was because of crappy tactical choices on our part or bad dice rolls. But those characters were tight mathematically, and because he knew what advantages and limitations to put on those characters, yeah, you had that 50-point energy blast. You could only do it once per day, but it was done, you know, so yeah. When you needed it, it was there. Yeah, so that's the thing about powers, spells, and FX abilities. If you don't allow, if, if, if the new setting doesn't allow, you either have to nerf the character, which depending on how intrinsic having those powers is to the character, you're going to have one honked off player. Or if powers are allowed, you got to look at the rules and say, okay, how are the rules going to do this and how am I going to have to house rule the heck out of it in order to make this work? Or again, axiomatic shift. Oh, I can do this power now, but I have to do the hand wiggling now. Because here, powers like this are magic. So on this world, I'm going to end up becoming like a D&D sorcerer. I have this ability, it's inborn. But in order for me to activate it, I still have to do the gesticulation and say these weird words. So that's the one, I think that for me is the hardest all of all. Powers, spells, special abilities like that. That's the going to give you the most work. So basically, the more powerful and extravagant the character, the more work you will have to put into it. Um, also, equipment. Now, an M16 is an M16 is an M16. If all of the settings that you're using have stats for an M16, don't reinvent the wheel. However, something that I have noticed, again, OG on Palladium, magic items and whatnot are very different. Um, you have, like, Maybe a ring of invisibility. Maybe a... Um, you have 
a lot less magic items than you do in OGL Fantasy. So when these characters who came from the Robotech Nightbane mashup world that I had, yeah, they might have had, oh, look, it was a plus one sword. And, oh, look, we have, you know, chain mail that's plus one. It's a little, you know... And all of a sudden, they're in the OGL world, and the the scientist, the entomologist and geneticist played by Tracy, all of a sudden is now a techno-wizard, basically an artificer. And then she goes to that D&D world. Well, now I have to sit there and give her all sorts of item creation feats because she knows how to make magic... Um, Craft Wondrous Item, Craft Magic Arms and Armor, um, Craft Techno Magic Firearm, uh, Craft Techno Magic Explosive. And the funny thing is, she wanted to be able to make weaponized insects, like literal bug bombs and bugs that would carry poisons into places and assassinate right. people. That's what she wanted to do. So I had to find the right rules in OGL to give her the, stat, the feats to do that. But even then, her also being the team's artificer, magic items different were different. So you have to take that into account of, okay, well, I have this plus one sword. Well, is it a plus one sword here in OGL or can I up it another one and give it another ability because with how Palladium describes their magic swords, is it a little more powerful here in this setting? So it's not so much equipment. I probably should have put items of power like potions, rings, whatnot. Um, very strange high-tech devices because let's say I wanted to bring a mech over from that Robotech Nightbane world and make it into OGL, I you know, D20 future. That would mm -hmm. mean I'd have to sit there and get the Palladium books out and get out D20 Future and Future Tech. Okay, what type of equivalent weapons does this Veritech have? How fast can it fly? What? Because it was a plug-and-play type system to make the mecha. You had the head slot, the shoulder slots, torso, legs, arms, back, hands if the, the mech was big enough. Oh, and you got to add in the transformation ability where it turns back into the jet and the hybrid guardian form. That's another thing that you're going to have to work on where you're going to need to know the rules of both. And I think I did actually have to make some Macross Robotech Mecha for an adventure because basically that big street thug brick duped it out with a... Well, in the first edition, Robotech... The one Destroid with Hands. I forget what they renamed it when they did Robotech 2nd Edition. But basically, yeah, Brick duped it out with a gladiator and he basically suplexed it and i'm just looking at donald like well he can lift it okay roll the hit you know and just so yeah he but i had to take into account what weapons it had how big it was the structural capacity of it like okay it can take up this much um damage so i have to make the defense this piloting you know how difficult is it going to be to pilot is it going to give you any penalties on your skills like Let's say if you're trying to do acrobatics in a mech, because of the size and the superstructure of it, is going to be like a minus four to your acrobatics check. You can do acrobatics in a mech, but obviously because you're in a 30-foot-tall robot, it's going to be a little harder to do. So those are things you have to take into account when you're translating equipment. Not just magical items, but also vehicles and whatnot. And then things yeah. like starships. I tried making an Enshani tug using 3rd edition OGL starship building. I had to pull out a lot of PDFs for that one let me tell you the 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 enchanty shug tug from incursion yeah and then having to make it with ogl future and future tech weren't enough i had to get yeah um what was his name uh lewis j porter's weapons of starship destruction all three of those huh. pdfs to help oh okay oh here's the the cybernetic subsystems that the ardana new has oh and here's the force fields you know so it can do this and 
oh, changing environments in certain rooms, you know, so it can do this, in order to get the feel for the Ardana new. And it just, you really, that that's another one. That's right up there with powers and abilities, translating equipment over. Again, magic items, vehicles, unique weapons, certain types of technology. Let's say stuff for um, net running. Okay, how is net running going to differ in this one world than the other? Mm -hmm. You got to make the equipment for that and conform it to the rules of the new setting. So, yeah, how, how does how does net running differ in Call of Cthulhu? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, for like modern, because I know there was a modern day Call of Cthulhu for, because I know the original game was set in the 20s. But I know also that there was a, a modern day one that I think came out in like the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you wanted to do that, how would you go about making where if you wanted to have like cyberspace adventures there? And then, of course, if you wanted to throw in Cthulhu tech, which I think GURPS did. Okay, how would, you know, Cthulhu and the boys have weird things that could access cyberspace? You know, like something with tentacles that, you know, wraps around your head and just transmits your electrical impulses into the computer you know right well not only that but okay if you know these are secret societies okay and they're doing things that are in many ways um obscene yes all right so you know it makes sense that you'd be doing this through chat rooms in cyberspace and might actually be doing these things together over a voice chat and not actually be all in the same room at the same time but just doing your ritual where you are or whatever so is you know the cyberspace therefore become a conduit once the power starts manifesting somewhere does it then reach through cyberspace and start manifesting in other locations were the rules for that? You know, th these things that you would not deal with because you are, you know, going from as you say one genre to another or one time period to another. You know, you suddenly are like, well, you know, would it, you know, would it, would arcane energy transmit across an electrical connection, or is, you know, it, because that's the old joke. It's like when you're talking on the phone to somebody. Okay, you're not there. You're not. You know, he's not here, so where's the conversation taking place? It's taking place in cyberspace. Where's that? <laughs> it's a, you know, it, it's, it's, no one can answer that question because it's, it's more than just a connection, you know, between two people. There's, there's a, there's, there's literally, you usually, you get to sense, usually when you're talking on the phone to somebody on a good connection, that you're actually someplace else together. And so when you start dealing with magic, then you get the things like uh, contagion, you know, and like, you know, and like connects to like, you know, and stuff like that. It, 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 cyberspace sounds like an excellent vehicle for transmitting power, arcane or otherwise. Okay, I don't know. Now watch this. Somebody's gonna try the thing with, oh yeah, you know, Cthulhu tech, where you know you get the octopus thing and it transmits the electrical impulses through, and and you're in cyberspace now. You're sitting there in a chair with an octopus on your head, but your avatar is moving around normally. Yeah. We're going to get letters on that one, I'm sure. Um, and the last one I have is levels and experience. Now, I talked about this a little earlier, how OGO goes up to 20 and Pathfinder goes up to 15. And even Kevin said, I've never had a campaign that's even got up to 15. It was just the arbitrary limit I set. Now, I will actually do the math here. Uh, 15 divided by 20 is 0.75. So let's say I have a 13th level Palladium character that I want to translate into OGL. I think I messed be, up on that. I think I messed yeah, up on that math. You did. It's it's uh it's 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 20 divided by 15. 
Yeah. Let's try that. Okay. So it's one point point three three. One point three repeating. Yeah. So your what was the level of your uh, playing guy? Thirteenth, which is two from the top. So I would think that is thirteen divided. Be seventeen point three in D and D terms. Okay. Yeah. So it'd be considered to a seventeenth level OGL character. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, you have to take that into account with... And again, you could just eyeball it. It's like, okay, he's close to the end of that. So, yeah, I would even just eyeballing saying, okay, to me that sounds like maybe 16th, 17th level. And then go from there. Now, there are role-playing games out there, and I'm blanking, but I've heard that a lot. There are a few that they're either classless or they don't really do levels. I, I don't consider Savage Worlds to really be a level-based game because you just have the four stages. What is it, Novice? Yeah, Novice, um, um, Seasoned, um, uh, Experienced, Hero. Um, and then I think Veteran. Veteran. Uh, actually, um, uh, and then you have Legendary. Yeah, so I don't really consider those levels per se yeah well and when you start off at legendary then it's just a matter of like you know, every so often you get more more edges yeah the only real difference between the lower levels and the higher levels is that you get to raise your base stats up more when you're legendary and there are certain things that are basically denied you at lower levels that you can just choose freely at higher levels yeah yeah certain certain edges are, are available to you that are not available lower okay yeah I so remember, yeah i remember seeing that as I said, I've read, I think I have a PDF for the, well, PDF, I've got the PDF for the first edition. Yeah. The second edition I have in hard copy with the aforementioned Superpower and Science Fiction Companions. And then I just bought the new, what they call the Suede, the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. So I do remember seeing certain edges and they said, oh, can't be taken into, can't be taken into Legendary or whatever. So I do remember that. And that's just like a, a feat prerequisite, so... You know, but yeah, levels and experience, because OGL generally goes up to 20. Now, let's say you're playing what would be an epic level character. In OGL, that would be 21st and higher. And you're converting over to Palladium. Palladium never did anything epic level. As I said, Kevin Sabita pretty much said, I made the arbitrary cap at 15, and he said in his campaigns he never got the highest he ever got to 13, and that was after almost decades of playing. So I went on their forums like last year. And I'm like, okay, if I decide to take this campaign that I'm doing at Epic, how am I going to do it with the 15th level character? They either say, continue the classes on, you know, just logically extrapolate, or your character takes a new class. You freeze all them 15th level abilities, which at, at 15th level, most of your abilities are going to be at the 98% cap anyways, except for certain classes like hardware classes and Heroes Unlimited, that allow you to have percentages that go well above 100%. Like, oh, you have to put all these different penalties on. You've got like a 173% electrical engineering. Well, you're working on alien technology. You're trying to do it in half the time, and you don't have all the proper tools. Well, gee, that's like a 70% penalty altogether. Okay, you're now down to 103. Still got to roll below a 98. You roll 99 or 100, you still fail. Yeah, I mean, that's what they would say to do for Palladium was... Well, you get to take another class. You just freeze all the old skills, and if you take repeats, then those skills can advance. If not, you know, you've trained so long to be a wizard, now you're like, okay, I want to become a fighter. So you would start out at level 1. You'd be a level 16 character. You'd have all this previous combat experience and these skills, but now you're... And all those hit points. Yeah, and now you have, you know, this whole new mindset that you're training in 
to be this, you know, up close fighter, or if it's a rate, you know, more like a ranger. Okay, you're doing a lot of archery and all that, and you just you're at 16th level with all this new stuff. So yeah, levels and experience on that it's half eyeballing and half do some math. Like I just you know we we just did here that 1.3 factor. I'm trying to recall. The, as I said I I sat and thought out the list today. Lunch with classes, races, ability, stats, skills. Beats out knack, power spells, FX abilities, equipment levels. I'm not recalling anything else that you would really need to look at translating between one mechanic and another. As I said, I do this for a mental exercise. It's just something, okay, let's try this. Let's, you know, just keep the gray matter going. Because I lift things all day. When I get home, I want to work the brain. And if there are times, I'll just, I'll find a character. Okay, let's see how this character would look in this stat. So... Those are the things, and just running through all the translations I've done, that's what I came up with. Bruce, can did I miss anything? I feel like I have. Well, the, the things that you know we haven't really talked about have been more like more of the edge cases where you, you run into something where it's like you know this is this changes everything. You know, for example, you know we a, a plus one dagger in D and D is nothing. It's it's a it's a nice thing to have. Uh, in first edition, it was a it was a tremendously valuable thing to have because there were some monsters that you could hit with it that you could, otherwise you could not hit no matter how hard you tried. Yeah, they required magical weapons. Okay, but otherwise it was just an extra you know pip on a extra one point on a twenty side die towards success. And you you know if you were already hitting on a fifteen, hitting you know hitting on a fourteen wasn't that much of a difference. Okay, so you bring that into, like, say, a, a modern setting, and you have to ask yourself, okay, well, that's a magic dagger. What what are the other qualities about? And so, you know, and nobody uses daggers. They're they're shooting things with guns. So this dagger is useless, isn't it? Well, maybe not, because in some versions of, of fantasy worlds, magic weapons, magic items are almost invulnerable so now you know you're stopping a, a, a hydraulic press that could crush the head of a terminator by sticking that dagger up there okay you're using it to you know block the uh, uh the the laser blast between two things maybe you're sticking it into a uh uh, uh shorting out a substation with it by throwing it and getting it in there, knowing that no matter how much power goes through it, it's not going to melt. It's, the, the, the substation is going to go first. So these outtrade qualities that might be part of it suddenly can take a lot more importance. It can also go the other directions. As an example, uh, to Melon Steel. Or, you know, uh, uh, yes. the, you bring that into a fantasy world, what happens? I mean, it's all based upon deflection in AD&D. You know whether your whether your your you know your broad your breastplate's made out of steel or bronze or copper or anything else, it has the same deflection bonus. So what difference does it make if you have something that literally you could you could fire you know a, a diamond you know a studded arrow tip at it and it wouldn't go through? Does it make any difference at all now? Okay, because in the future setting, if you in that setting where it was penetration based where it was easy to hit things, but as long as your armor could absorb the damage, you took no damage, 
See, those things are the really hard things to deal with, like what happens. And I, I deal with that all the time with uh, uh, going back and forth because someone says, hey, you know, I, I got a breastplate made out of uh, it, oh, Savage Worlds, this is an example, because it doesn't have uh, hit points on equipment. So, yeah, I rolled a hit. I hit. Okay, so I'm wearing a breastplate of Tamelor Steel. Does that help me? And the answer is, yeah, if you get hit in the chest, you take no damage. So since and then in most cases where uh, it's assumed that unless you're rolling to hit the extremities, you're always rolling against the center of mass, that person basically became invulnerable. Yeah. Okay. And so the only way to take them out is the area of effect weapons that ignore things like armor. So you have to, you know, so when you're you're making these changes between systems, you have to, you know, ask yourself, does it make any difference? And that's why it's good if, you know, if, like, example, a Mantite, okay? You, uh, there's nothing in the game that says that armor made out of Animantite is better than armor that isn't made out of Animantite. You know, but there, it, it could be proof against certain types of spells, or you could say, well, you know, your armor has to have some Animantite in it, or you can't enchant it with certain things. So, you know, that's where, you know, you might add rules to a game system to go and try to accommodate yeah. the uh, the qualities of things that are, you know, new to the game. You know, it's, uh, you know, horses. You know, uh, all horses seem to have the same damage, whatever. And then there was a dragon article where they said, well, not all horses are the same. You got, you know, the, the old mares all the way up to the most powerful uh, destroyers and they shouldn't all cost the same amount and uh, I worked up a whole system for horses where you go up and say well I like to buy a horse well you can buy this horse for five gold pieces don't they normally go for 20 yeah but he's old and you know he's probably only got like another year left in him but you know, so you can have him for five and then there's this other one wow that's a beautiful horse yeah he, he travels faster than any other horse around really how much does he cost 2,000 gold and they're like, how could you justify that? You know, in the system that I came up with, it was easy. To, I mean, it made sense. Yeah. And it's, um, if you bring a motorcycle into a fantasy world, you know, is, you know, what's his value? You know, uh, does, uh, how, does it require, I mean, you, how long before it's going to stop working? Yeah. Because, you know, because it's going to require maintenance you may not be able to do. Horses, you know, you've got a lot. You've got a thousand, a million people out there that know how to raise a horse, know how to take care of a horse when a horse gets sick. But, you know, so you can essentially, you can, all modern technology has gotten the quality of fragile or high maintenance. Yeah. Because it is going to require so much, you're, you know, oh yeah, I just need to oil this up. Well, with what oil? Oh, yeah, I can't use lamp oil, can I? No, that's that. It's made out of whale oil, and it's not gonna it's not gonna work. You have to get, you know, oil that's made out of like a chemical, out of a petrochemical. You got any oil wells around? You know, do you do you have the ability to refine it? Yeah, all those things. So you know, that's when you're bringing stuff from one system to another. A lot of times, when you're talking about equipment, you have to ask yourself. Is this something that's just going to disappear in a short period of time? So, yeah, sure, you guys have it. It's fun. It's great. Enjoy it because it's gone. I, yeah, I did when I did the conversion when the jump from the Palladium setting to the OGL Second World setting. In the Second World, it's equivalent to 
Renaissance level tech. Modern day equipment does electric electrical stuff doesn't work. Cars do not work. Not even diesel because just chemical reactions. The laws are different. Gunpowder doesn't work, and that's where I told you where they pull the trigger and the, it propels the bullet just enough and it just falls out the tip to the ground. So when these people got there, what what it was, they were thinking, yeah, we're just gonna we got our diesel jeeps and we got our tractor tra our trailers with you know our biotech power armor with the the biotech engines to keep them you know all fluid and everything but a warp came up and that's how they got on the second world so you had the diesel cars and everything and all of a sudden as they came through the warp everything just ground to a halt and they like rear-ended each other because the cars stopped working so now they had you know these two diesel suvs and the with these trailers on them and they were just sitting there in this field because they couldn't go anywhere until they gained magical items that i had whipped up to allow them to drive these cars and once they had that they were in big supply because it's like wait a minute you can drive you know that half it takes us four hours to walk and you can do it in 30 minutes right and it's like yeah we have this you know this stuff in these cans here that we can fill up and we can keep doing this every so often i mean we have to watch how often we travel so we're only going to be able to come to the city maybe once every couple weeks but we can do this and with this trailer we can and because we've got stuff we can give you for food and whatnot we can take a lot of food. You guys, you know, this will be equitable for us all. So, yeah, I had to, you know, that, that, and I, I ran a previous Second World campaign where they basically had to roll the car down the hill from appearing in the Second World. And so this police car rolls into this medieval village from the hill outside of town and it just rolls and they managed to be able to stop it with the brakes and everything. But still, they're just looking like, oh, look, more exiles. Great. <laughs> How can you tell? The car that doesn't work. Yeah, we had hit one here about 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, they call it an automobile. It's it's not much of a house. It's got windows all around. Right, There's exactly. no privacy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and see, the only yeah. reason why they got it rolled into town was because they were they appeared at the top of the hill. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, equipment that, yeah, it's true. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to maintain it. You might get the worth of the metal. That's it. Yeah. That would only be to like a blacksmith who might be able to heat, you know, take the car apart, use it as scrap, heat down the metal and reforge it into something. That's right. about it. Yeah. You got people who don't like, you know, they're saying, well, yeah, this is a diesel engine uh, and it's run out of fuel. What do I, what do I put in it? And then everyone's like, I don't know. I don't know. But then you get the one person who goes and says, oh, uh, sunflower seeds, if you Squeeze the oil out of them. They make pretty. They, they make pretty good diesel fuel. And you're like, what? And all of a sudden, something that's been sitting around, useless for two decades, suddenly might be useful. Yeah. Right. Or oh shoot, I'm trying. Um, there's another example I've seen along those lines. Anyways, uh, but you know, there there was a, uh, and of course, some things really surprise you. It's like uh, uh, in this one uh, Bolo story, they had this tank. It was uh, an intelligent tank. And it it was it been sitting there literally for 50 years, and uh, er, people would come up to it and say, "Hey, three, two, one, fire!" You know, and a little light, little flame would come out of the end of its barrel, and people would light their cigar cigarettes and cigars off of it. And everyone was like, "Yeah, this thing's you know worthless. You know, it's it's just there as old remnant of the old old whatever." And what happens is is it's like a, an asteroid, a, a meteor crashes, and inside is you know a, a pod with one of these enemies. And this thing basically just rips itself out of the ground. It can't use its uh, guns anymore; they're worthless. That's true, but it's still it's 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 still able to 
turn, you know, has enough power in it to turn its axles, and it literally just on the rotted remains of its wheels never rolls forward and just slams into the enemy thing that would have destroyed the entire village and just grinds it up and destroys it. And they both burn up in a big flame. Yeah. And at which point they drag the remnants back and they and they and they, they encase it in lucite and they say our hero, you know, and it's put it back on his on his perch again. Even though it looked like it was completely worthless, it still had had qualities about it that were still useful. But nobody realized it because everyone assumed that after that much time, it was worthless. As I said, with with equipment, yeah, you. You, you really have to watch how it's going to work in this new world and try to come up with the rules necessary to be able to use it if you're going to bring it with you. That's right. why I made the magic items that allow people to drive cars and use technology and, oh, look, we had an electrical pistol. Now that I've got this ring, I can use the electrical pistol. I'm just sort of amplifying my own buyer energy and I can fire electrical bolts like I could back home. Yeah, so I... I did that because I didn't really want to nerf the players that bad. Right, right. And, and uh, just to, to, to maybe reinforce something I said earlier about special abilities, you know, a lot of times you just want to give those to people rather than trying to find a, um, at a competent level, rather than trying to find some kind of representation in the system that you're going to. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's, it's necessary. Well, A, either A, it, it provides spotlight in that they can do something that other people can't do yes or uh b it's just you you don't want to have to create a whole subsystem to handle one thing that somebody can do or three is beneficial to the whole to the game itself and the example we have for that is is that uh in the um, television show burn notice uh bruce campbell plays this buddy of the main character and he always and whenever they need information he always has it okay and Instead of saying, well, we got to give him like, you know, level 20 and, and streetwise or all these things like that, where if he makes the role, there's a chance of him failing and therefore screwing up the plot, you know, screwing up the story. You just simply say, look, this is what he does. He just has contacts. So when you need this information, you roll a D4, and that's how long it takes him to come back with the information. Yeah. And, and just go from there. And, and maybe that's what you want to do with, if you have a master lock picker, maybe all you're really rolling for is how long it takes him to pick the lock, not whether he's, he or she is going to succeed. Yeah. You know, and, and so forth. You know, a lot of things, you know, I always say, what is a competent character in this system? What is the competent character in that system? And try to make sure that if you are competent, you can still do essentially the same things in the new system, whatever that has to be. And that's where you're eyeballing it. You know, you're saying, okay, this is a competent, you know, and just, and, and sometimes there's not going to be any kind of a translation. You just simply fiat say, well, then you've got to have this. I don't know how you got there, but there you are. <laughs> and that's, that's to me, is probably the, uh, uh, the hardest thing to do because we're logical people. You know, if you're a game master, you know, and you're used to working with systems that are very logical or they're built on top of each other in carefully crafted ways like Hero System is, sometimes it's really hard to be able to say, well, I don't, can't justify it, but they have it anyways because they need it. Yeah. And, or the, ga- or the, the team needs it or the game needs it. And you have to be able to go beyond the, sometimes the, uh, 
you know, whatever would be the be a logical progression between one system and another. You know, there's not going to be a, a no no system has a magic bullet like that because life doesn't have a magic bullet. Right. You know, somebody who's twice as strong, you know, is is you can be twice as strong, but if someone's twice as fast, that's a big difference. Yeah. You know, someone who's twice as smart is a big difference between someone who's twice as, as strong. They're not equivalents. So, but if you're using the same zero to twenty scale, you can try to say, well, you know, you can sometimes make the mistake of trying to come up with an identical progression in each one. When in fact, this is it. What you should really do is say, okay, this is what you could do at this level. This is what you could do at this level, and then just put them where they need to be. It gets into a trouble when you're doing advancement, though, because if you say, yeah. well. You know, okay, I'm fourth level now, so I get to raise, you know, one of my stats up two points. And two points in intelligence is a huge increase over two points in strength. Well, that's that, you know, that, you know, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to say, all right, fine, you get an, an edge instead. You get a feat instead, you know, and, and feats, that's another thing. It's like, you know, in D&D fifth edition, you know, instead of taking that two points or one point in two stats, two points in one stat, which is the only one that actually makes it useful because you have to have two points to actually go up a plus. Yeah. He says, you say instead, oh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take a feat, you know, like, and these feats are, can be, are amazing. You know, sometimes they do pluses and minuses on them to keep them from being too amazing. But I'm just saying is that, you know, they're like total, you know, uh, I can get a plus two on my strength or I can fly. Well, I think that's a big difference. Yeah. So, you know, and and I I always just amazed at people who try to try to have game balance in that regard because it just uh it just doesn't work. There's just there's no system out there that really does that except maybe hero system because it is so they've spent so much time working out all those little bits and even then you can break it. There's no system you can't break if oh, you right. try hard. No, like I said, Jerry put he he bent hero system until it screamed, and that's why it's like nope, he makes the character. In yeah. my OGL campaigns, it would be my friend Carrie. Yeah, I've been you you know how long I've been role playing Bruce. I go to her when people have trouble making characters uh -huh. because she knows just how to plug the rules in in ways and I'm just like, oh my lord, you did what with that? Oh yeah, you can do this, this, and this. And need when I have to make, I have to throw my players against really high level stuff when Carrie is in my games, which are my Thursday and Friday game. The two Thursdays and then the um, Steampunk Bureau 13 game. And yeah. it's just, the gnomes are back from space, so stop laughing. Um... <laughs> So I have to throw, because I know if I plan for a five-round combat, Carrie, with her knowledge of just tactics and how to use D20, all the special abilities and everything, if it goes three rounds, it's a miracle. Uh -huh. It means there was bad dice rolling. Because I know Carrie can lock things up, boom, 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 okay? This takes a free action, this is a swift action, and I'm going to do this full attack action. And wipe out six people with, you know three dice rolls and it's just so yeah i i translating like that yeah it just yeah. you got to make sure that things don't end up being too powerful with that nightbane i had to nerf i had just and i just wrote it off as here in this world i'm not i'm i've lost my powers and i mean he gained some of them back as we adventured in that world he's like oh yeah you know and i i played it off where like wait a minute cal what's going on oh yeah and he's off like a shot again they're like 
yes, he's got his super speed back. Y'all are dead now, you know, just because right. I had to rebuild it up because I knew if I made the character and did exactly, I was the NPC and I'd outshine everybody and that you just don't do that. Right. I, I made the characters where they were the ones who had the power and other than Cal being a Nightbane, he was like a, a young Indian child genius. So yeah, he had like a 200 plus IQ, but... He wasn't good in combat. He had all these powers, but he was still relatively inexperienced. And so all the other team members, yeah, they loved Cal because he was the young guy and he had all these skills and all this. But there was the time he slipped on the snowy roof and they're hopping from housetop to housetop and he hit that one patch and slid off into the yard. You know, and things like that. So it helped when I nerfed the character. It's like, okay, we kind of have to protect Cal because, you know, we love him, you know. Yeah, we know he's powerful and he's, you know, he's in a slump right now, but I had to do it. So that's the one thing you guys have to worry about with characters with powers that you bring into a new setting is that you may have to nerf them a little for game balance. As you want to get your characters as close as they are to how they were in the old mechanic. But if it's going to cause disruptions in the game with having wildly different power levels in the game, there might be some nerf involved. You might have to, you, you and the owner of the character, the player, if it is a player character, some pride may have to be swallowed. Well, in this world, you can't run as fast, or in this world, you can bounce bullets off your skin, but not lasers, for purposes of game balance. Because everybody deserves that spotlight time. That's one of the rules we have here on this podcast for helping bring the awesome to the game. Everyone getting spotlight time is essential. It may not be all in the same game session, but in the same adventure. Let's say an adventure runs four sessions. Everybody deserves to have that spotlight time. And if somebody doesn't get the spotlight time, it, it can be, cause some resentment. So in the matter of game balance, if you see it's going to harm it, don't translate exactly. And just write it off as the old... And you can use that term now. You get it from this the axiomatic shift. You know, it's how I came up with the Playtex effect for the reality bubble fringe. This is another, this is another Travism. Here you go, folks. Uh, just, <laughs> I'm still proud of that Playtex effect. I, I I still talk about that one to this day. Um, yeah, that, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's... it with switching between game mechanics, and we can wrap this up. So, there. Switching between game mechanics either due to an addition change or a shift in setting. It's work for the game master, definitely. I speak from experience on this. The players will be stretched their limits because they'll have to really think about their characters and what they want to do, the, what this character will be able to do in this new setting while still keeping the flavor and the feel of that character. It will force you to learn multiple game systems. There are some people who play the same game system, they've done it for 20 years, and all of a sudden, they'll be able to look at the game that they're running from a whole new perspective. Because, let's say I'm running D20 for 15 years, various campaign. And all of a sudden I decide in the middle of this new campaign I want to switch over to Savage Worlds. Hi, I have to learn a whole new game mechanic. And I may learn, realize that this game can be played a totally different way. Because Savage Worlds is a little more of a cinematic style of role-playing. Um, you are going to be forced to talk with your players more about, as I said, what they want their characters to be able to do so it will encourage communication with your players and it will help in that grand 
art of cooperative storytelling that role-playing games are. If you have any questions about switching to game mechanics, first of all, Google is your friend. Trust me, I've got all sorts of bookmarks saved on how to convert, and I'm more talking like the old DC and Marvel games to OGL. I mean, as I said, just JFGI, just frilling Google it, and you will find conversion stuff have already been set up. Many companies like D20 and Pinnacle, there is an official D20 OGL to Savage Worlds conversion. That's out there. I think it's on peg.com, uh, Pinnacle's official site. If you have questions on this Podbean site you got this episode from, fans of Gaming on the Frontier podcast on Facebook, uh, iTunes, leave a comment. We'll take a whack at it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, <laughs> if need be, I'll give you the link to find, if, if I have the link access and I get the question gets back to me, I'll fire back a link and say, here, I found this. We say it all the time. Feedback, feedback, feedback. We, we love getting feedback from you, you folks, because one, it lets us know that you're paying attention. And two, heck, we've gotten extra, we've gotten co-hosts out of feedback. I mean, ask, you know, um, Paul Nunez. Hey, so we will have much more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.